0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Florida Prospect Report. I'm your co-host, Bailey, here with my co-host, Eric. Eric, how about them Orioles?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I can't believe that I'm saying this as I'm beginning to feel this, but the playoffs are a realistic possibility. So the system is great, and we love that. And uh, we can start, you know, it's late in the season, we're high in the wild card standings and competing with the teams that are ahead of us. So I don't know. Let's let's keep dreaming.
0: Yeah. And uh, they won 10-3 today over the Rays, which puts them half a game ahead of the Rays. The Orioles are in sole possession of the third wild card spot. Um, they're a legitimate playoff contender, and I think it starts uh, from the bottom up. You know, the uh, Mike Elias development staff, and um, you saw one of the newest players in the Orioles system a couple days ago, and today as well, uh, Jackson Holloway. Um what are, you, what are your thoughts? Uh, what do you think of his swing? And also the other guys, you know, Beavers and Fabian.
1: Uh, wow, what a great way to start. The hottest system and the newest draft picks. Uh, it was in the FCL, so I was lucky enough to see uh, games where not a lot of fans are able to see. They're not streamed yet, maybe next year. Um, but uh, I saw him start, uh, Jackson Holiday start on the road in uh, Atlanta Stadium on uh, Wednesday night. And I saw him play his first home game in Sarasota today, both times at shortstop. And uh, both times he got a hit, uh, a pull side single in the air on Wednesday and a pull side grounder between first and second today. So his swing looks good and loud, not powerful yet, but he's also not uh, well built. You know, he's, he's just entering pro baseball. So he hasn't started a lifting program or anything like that. Uh, he moves really well at shortstop. He can cover uh, ground laterally really quick. He's a great tagger, you know, like Javi Baez is known for his tagging skills. He reached up and grabbed a a relay throw from uh, Dylan Beavers and was able to apply a quick snap tag yesterday. And they they combined to get a uh, a runner out who was thinking about picking up an extra base. So a lot of little things. He stole a base yesterday. Uh, He scored from second on a single today. So there's elements of speed early on which is something that some people talked about. So Holiday looks like a player. Definitely uh, made a couple grounders. He's really good with the uh, the hip-high bounce. I mean, he's, he's, he's got that uh, field transfer and step down to a perfect rhythm. It looks extremely pro. Um, so he looks great. I'd estimate he stays in the FCL to the end because he's so young, hasn't played – uh, baseball in a while, hasn't played any type of near pro baseball at all. Uh, another guy who asked about Judd Fabian, he's going to be gone very soon, if not like when this episode uh, airs. His OPS in the FCL in a very small sample size is over 1,200. Uh, he's a, not a huge guy, but his swing and what the ball does in the air really makes the stadium look very, very small. So he's, he's a power hitter in the low minors right now. So that usually doesn't stay in the rookie leagues. Also, really covers a lot of ground in the outfield. The first game, the first out was a fly ball, hit 60 feet to his right. He didn't have to slide. He didn't have to, you know, he got into a perfect route, perfect strides, and ran it down. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what an amazing thing. I wonder if people, you know, would really even appreciate it. And a lot, a lot of people did. I, I got video of it. So uh, he looks good. Beavers. A little taller lefty has kind of like a a hip dip that starts an uppercut into his swing. So uh, definitely his contact has been loud and far, but more for outs than for hits uh, to this point. But that good throw from the warning track. So a little bit of defensive skills on display. Another guy that they drafted that I really, really like that has shown me something good every day and, and, and most days more than one is the shortstop prospect from Stanford Adam Crampton he can really feel and he can really catch over his shoulder and pivot and lightning quick transfer so the the when fans see him they're going to be very excited the Orioles had an awesome draft so I could talk about this forever but now seems a, 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 a good time to stop
0: well hearing the Orioles had a good draft feels like a groundhog day the past couple of years but uh that's a lot of uh, great insight. You know, uh, you offer a unique perspective of being able to go to all the FCL Orioles games. And speaking of offering a unique perspective, you actually saw Jackson Holiday play 10 months ago in the Perfect Game Tournament. So as a follow-up question, I'm curious if uh, you've noticed any, uh, you know, changes or just how you would compare what you've seen this week to what you saw back in October of 2021. Wow.
1: That really actually is a very awesome question. And I thought about it uh, late at night on Wednesday. So I went back to compare a couple pictures. So I did not really notice it firsthand. And I got close to him on Wednesday night. I waited in a line after the game to get an autograph with a lot of people. And I talked to him. Uh, Short answer It's all it's all upper body, like the articles and the press that was out that he got bigger and he lifted weights, his back, shoulders and chest for someone so young are really bigger than average for, you know, not like football player size, but athlete size. And back then they really were almost not present at all. So you got to kind of look hard. But the difference is really substantial. It's kind of really a lot. So that that's something that nobody would think about. But that really is a great question. So you take that a little bit further. That's why he's getting hits. That's why his arm from the shortstop hole is better than decent. So again, even further. That's why he's the first overall pick. Right. So there have been enough changes, and that vaunted him vaulted him above guys like Elijah, good player, Drew Jones, good player, Tamar good player so really really excellent talking point but he he kind of put on the weight and earned
0: it absolutely and that's um like like I said a really good perspective and you know I know you and I were in the Drew Jones camp pre-draft and my you know my backup choice would have been Tamar. but as it currently stands I'm very happy that they drafted Jackson Holiday it looks so far like a good pick obviously it's very early but um And then, you know, speaking of previous Orioles drafts, I want to give you credit for another thing you pointed out uh, the other day. Uh, The 2019 Orioles draft, their first two picks, Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. Both of those players at one point or another were the top overall prospect in the sport. How often does that happen where a team's first two picks in the draft go on to be the top overall prospect in the sport? I can't imagine that often, and that just goes to show how successful this Orioles minor league development has been in recent years
1: right they know how to pick people they know the right reasons to go after people so extreme even if it's happened it's extremely rare and it's just another reason to really feel very satisfied about being an Orioles fan right now
0: a thousand percent and I got one extra reason to uh be happy about being an Orioles fan right now and that's uh, a guy named D.L. Hall Major League debut tomorrow, and uh, you may or may not uh, be in attendance. And um, what are your thoughts on D.L. Hall?
1: Oh, that's who I would rank as the Orioles' number one prospect, and that's who I would rank as the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. Or if we we had to get specific and say lefty, he'd be my number one lefty. So uh, I like a guy who can – change speeds change planes sequence well and has a variety of out pitches and is a endurance athlete so it's like physically built to last three times through the lineup whatever that takes so i absolutely i you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm as excited for you know, that's the final phase of development, getting guys good and then transitioning them to the majors. So whatever happens tomorrow, and yes, I will be in attendance. I convinced myself to go with your assistance this evening. So, you know, whatever happens tomorrow is not going to be anywhere near the final product, but it will be the first impressions of how it's going to go at the very least. So I really want to be there, even if it's just one strikeout and seven runs. You know, I just I want to see the strikeout. So. Right. Oriole fans should be absolutely thrilled. A lot of like minor league watchers like us are kind of like impatient and have been waiting for a long time. I am, I am in that group. So tomorrow we get, you know, we can take that exhale and watch him be a a big leader. Like we knew he he would be for a while.
0: Absolutely. This is a a major addition for a team that's in a playoff race. Um, Not, not, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but obviously in 2012, uh, this time around they called. Uh, they called up Manny Machado, and um, obviously that he was a big spark plug for that team that ended up winning the wild card. Um, I think DL Hall is kind of a player we differ on a little bit. Uh, personally, I would rank you know guys like Gunnar, Grayson Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez, excuse me, and Jackson Holiday ahead of him. And I think there are some pitchers in the minor leagues like Grayson Rodriguez, um, who I would rank ahead of him. Maybe Tink Hens, who we're gonna talk about a little bit later. But uh, if we're talking just pure stuff, pure talent, it's very hard to find a pitcher with more of it than uh, D.L. Hall. I would say, you know, my concerns would be his command, uh, which is, I think, a common uh, belief in uh, prospect fans. Uh, But at the same time, I think if there's any organization that's going to transform him into a star over time, it is the Orioles. So, um, you know, whether or not he is – Ace material right now. I think the Orioles can get him there in due time. So um, it's a very exciting debut. He's going off against uh, the Cy Young front runner, at least in my opinion, Shane McClanahan. So that's gonna be a fun game, especially with you know the Rays win. They're ahead of the Orioles again in the wild card race. So a lot of implications on the line at that game. You're going to.
1: Yes, and I guess really uh, conversely, what if the Orioles win? What if DL Hall beats Shane McClanahan for right? the second? Okay, so what does that say for the rest of the season? Like national reporters who I won't name were indicating (laughs) that the Orioles gave up at the trade deadline, but maybe they were moving assets that weren't in place to help long-term or exactly short-term, and D.L. Hall is part of that plan. Well,
0: they also said they gave up during free agency when they only signed Jordan Lyles for the pitching staff. And like, of course, don't get me wrong. I wish they would have went out and got, you know, another arm or two, but they're, you know, a couple games over 500 right now with the, with the roster they have. So adding guys like DL hall, maybe Grayson Rodriguez next month, he's, you know, starting his rehab up in Sarasota. So, you know, there's a chance he could return. Uh, you know, I think there's an outside chance Gunner debuts next month. I think, I think there's a chance we see some more significant prospect debuts.
1: Right. So they didn't wave the white flag. They're adding substantial talent, good talent, ready to push over the playoff line type talent. Also Kyle Stowers. Right. So, you know, there's – this is a great season to be an Orioles fan. And if none of these positives that we're discussing happen, they still have a great core – to start next to start building next year and they will make those free agent moves for pitchers that you wanted to happen last year. And I guess another perspective is you can say Jordan Lyles was the only bad signing, but that's, that's the number one starter. And he's relatively inexpensive and he can, and he could be traded next year if five other people
0: beat him out. And he eats innings. Okay. Right. (laughs)
1: He's right. He he eats innings. That's what Uh, he does. But
0: they're a really fun (laughs) fun team this year. And um, speaking of fun teams, you're going to a game tomorrow before you go to the uh, Major League Orioles game, and you're going to be seeing some fun players.
1: That's right. Another uh, super top prospect that I haven't seen. I'm quite positive that at Pirate City, where the Orioles play in the morning, uh, the Pirates team will have Tamar Johnson on it. So (laughs) obviously a huge name, a huge skill guy. I actually met him for a second at Bradenton uh, Marauders the other day. Uh, Braylon Bishop came to say hi, and they were together. And then they were, like, walking out. They came to watch Tink Hens. But, yeah, I'm I'm also, like, off the chains excited to see Tamar. He hasn't gotten a hit yet, so I have a feeling he will. If he gets four at-bats, he will tomorrow. So I, w- I want to be there. for I was there for Jackson's first hit. I want to be there for tomorrow's first hit. You know, all this doubleheaders and not sleeping and, like, squeezing my schedule, I want to be rewarded with just a little cool, like, baseball moment. So I'm pretty sure tomorrow will give it to me sometime between 10 and 11 a.m. tomorrow morning.
0: Well, there you go. That would be really exciting to see in person. And also, um, Okay. Absolutely. And, um, well, so uh, earlier this week for me, I was at a, a Florida State League game. You know, it's not as exciting per se as Jackson Holiday's first career hit, but I still did see a lot of action. A oh, lot wow. first and fir- first and foremost, Yidi Cape. Uh he is phenomenal. Um, I think the big thing with him is his strikeouts, or should I say, lack thereof. He has eight strikeouts in seventy two plate appearances, which is less than seven percent. Uh sorry, less than it's eleven percent. It went up a little bit in the last two days, but okay. still really good for a player like him. Um, and he uh, got his first home run as a hammerhead on Wednesday. It was an inside the park homer. Uh, really exciting seeing him fly around the bases. Uh, if you want to see that video, it is on the Florida Prospect Pod Twitter account. Um, Cafe's a player I'm really excited about. Uh, I think I still like Solace a little bit more just because I think Solace has a little more raw power. But um, I think there's a chance in the future we could see an infield of Cappe and Solace at the major league level. Um, that'd be fun. And uh, some other players I saw are uh, some uh, recently drafted corner infielders. First and foremost, Jacob Berry, sixth overall pick in the draft. Um, you know, I I know, you know, my feelings at the time that they drafted him. Uh, I was hoping the Marlins would take Brooks Lee um, I you know I, I don't know if, I don't know if the Marlins needed a guy like Jacob Berry. They needed a hitter, but you know they have Jorge Soler, they have Avi Sael Garcia, etc. Oh. And I know you don't draft for need in the major leagues, but I feel like they, if it, if what I makes sense what I'm saying that they have not done a good job at developing that kind of archetype. If that makes sense, so.
1: Of course, and they have not.
0: Right, so I wasn't, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about Jacob Barry, but uh, he's, he debuted in the Florida Complex League uh, for four games and then has now played eight in Jupiter. Uh, he's below the Mendoza line in both leagues, uh, very, very small sample size, uh, has yet to record his first career home run, but has struck out uh, 10 times in 54 plate appearances. Um, so in the game I saw him, he did an opposite field single, might have been able to stretch it out to a double, but he stumbled around first base, so that was that. Um, struck out. Uh, he was making good contact. He hit, like, two balls to the uh warning track, but they are both caught. Um, I think he's a talented player, has a lot of raw power. Um, not sure if he's the guy I would have gone with if I was the Marlins front office, but I'm not. Um, you know, just for his sake and for the Marlins' sake, I do hope that he has a uh, – strong finish to the season and I understand that a college player coming from you know um, uh, the SEC it's always uh, kind of tough uh, playing in August and September in the minor leagues we saw it with right. J.J. Blade in 2019 it seemed like he was kind of I don't want to say tired but you know Blade had just gone to the College World Series and then was sent back out to uh, the Florida State League and didn't put up the best stats so it's possible you know just a lot of games, but uh, one guy I did really like, and before I even saw um, Barry or the player I'm about to talk about play, I said to you and our friend Greg and my dad, um, I think there's an outside chance that Torin Montgomery, Marlon's 14th round pick, may have been a better pick than their first round pick, Jacob Barry. Um, There's not a lot I'm basing this off of, besides what I briefly read on Twitter and in articles. Um, but, you know, Torrin Montgomery hit a moonshot home run at the game I was at. Um, so confirmation so this, bias? I don't know. So this is
1: where you're, you're planting your flag right here.
0: A little bit, maybe. I don't, you know, I don't want to like go into it too far, but Torrin Montgomery right now has a 290 batting average and 389 on base percentage in these, you know, the same amount of games that Barry has been in the Florida State League while Barry, you know, is, 188 batting average, 250 on base percentage. Really small sample size and um, probably indicative of very little. But I do really like Torin Montgomery. Uh, he's 6'3", 245 pounds, corner infielder. Um, they got him in the 14th round. Uh, second time they've tried drafting because they drafted him out of high school in the 35th round of the 2019 draft. He didn't sign. Um, I really like him. Um, I think who moved,
1: who moved better?
0: Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um right. I didn't really I didn't really see Montgomery uh move much just because he was oh, playing yeah. first base and then the one hit he had was a no-down home run. But oh, yeah. I didn't I'm you know I didn't feel Barry moved that great in the uh single he had. You can look up the video on our page. Um so but uh those were the main but, players I saw from Jupiter.
1: We'll have to watch more and see how athletic they are or
0: are not. Absolutely. But there is one player who I did really like besides uh, Torin Montgomery and Giddy Copeland. It's from the opposing team, Fort Myers Mighty Muscles, Uh, Tanner Shovel. He was a second-round pick out of Virginia Tech uh, and had a great night, had multiple hits, uh, was hitting the ball all over the field, uh, showed good speed. I think this is a guy who can move quickly through the twin system and has a high floor um I really liked what I saw and you know he's hitting th- once again really small sample size but he's hitting 308 with a 357 on base percentage um not a lot of power his slugging is lower than his on base percentage right now and no home runs but like I said really small sample size uh moved really well though and showed a good hit tool so I'm soured a little bit on K- Kavako. not that I was ever particularly high on him I just think that the the strikeouts are a little much, especially in the Florida State League. I State knew you were League.
1: going to say this also, and I, 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 I am too. It's kind. Of, it was a high, It was a really high pick.
0: Right, and you know, a guy like Kalaya Rosario, who's also striking out a ton, at least he has what? ten home runs to his name this season. Um, Pavako does not have ten home runs, so you know, I don't know if either of them have a good enough hit tool to succeed in the upper minors, but. If they're both striking out at that kind of rate, I would, I would bet on the guy who's at least hitting double-digit bombs. And, you know, I should be fair to Kavako. He also has eight home runs. So I
1: would say, I think he has eight or nine.
0: Right. So I'm kind of splitting hairs there. But uh, I, I also, you know, he also has an on-base percentage below 280. I'm trying to pull <laughs> Kaliro. And, like, eye test-wise,
1: his bat at bats end, like, almost before they even start. So that's an even more an even worse sign for like development, but whatever. If he's right. got pedigree, he'll figure it out. Or he'll some something will click somehow. A coach will get to him. Something he'll discover something in the cage. You know we don't want to count out any, any guy. Uh,
0: absolutely, yeah. And you know Rosario, uh, on base percentage three oh eight, WRC plus one oh five. So technically an above average hitter. Um, Keanu Kaveco's WRC plus is eighty eight. So obviously lower. um, And they're both striking out 34% of the time. So an interesting comp there, Um, but you know, a lot to think about. And um, speaking of which uh, a lot, uh, something that we've thought a lot about in the past week or two is the trade deadline. Um, There's a lot of moves, uh, including, you know, a future hall of famer maybe being traded. Um, Of course, I'm talking about Jorge Lopez. What were the Orioles thinking?
1: Oh Yeah, I can't believe they did. I can't believe they traded a one season good closer for four <laughs> for four people. So I guess a four for one is good if you can get it. But I really think that the uh, the net as much as I, you know, I, I don't really love to give them the most credit. They really like reformed their whole system in the most positive way possible by getting uh by by trading. Uh, Soto. I mean, I just, all the guys they got back were basically my favorite guys in a pretty good system. So (laughs) the Nats, they drafted Elijah Green, they traded Soto, and their FCL team, and Fred Fredericksburg are kind of good already. So they're like, you know, the next list, when the next series of lists come out, do not be surprised if the Nats are in the top tier, because they, they belong there. So that's like the, fir- the first big deal. The, the biggest big deal is really like the fir- any conversation about the deadline should start with that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Nationals definitely uh, overhauled their farm system. Personally, I know this is a very easy thing to say and probably a common opinion, but they should not have traded Soto. Um, they had a competent ownership. Soto would be locked up forever on like – uh, 20-year deal like he should be this is the next ted williams um i'm i you know i was i've never been sold on cj abrams i know he's a really good player and i know he was rushed by the padres so it's possible he just needs more time um but i don't know i i like robert hassel i don't think he's gonna come close to the level of soto um the player i'm most excited about is probably james wood but Me me too And I think there's, you know, you can argue he's a top 10, top, maybe even top five prospect in the sport right now, but still obviously give me Soto. Um, I understand to a degree why he was traded, um, but I think it's a little ridiculous. Um, and for my earlier comments, obviously, you know, it's joking, uh, you know, about Jorge Lopez. So, you know, I personally was of the opinion that I'm fine with Lopez and Mancini getting traded. If the return is right, um, so the day of the Lopez trade, I was kind of disappointed that Cade Povich was the main return. Um, in his first two starts as an Oriole prospect, he's been nothing but dominant. So, um, you know, maybe he's proving me wrong. You know, overall, I think I would actually still rather have Lopez than Povich just because, um, you know, they are in a wild card race, and he's been one of the better relievers in baseball. But obviously. Povich probably has more value long-term. I think the more interesting deal to talk about is the Mancini deal. Um, You know, he's a fan favorite, very simple, um, but also um, on the last year of his contract and probably doesn't have a role long-term with Mountcastle, though Mountcastle has cooled off in the past month. Um, But they got Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, which also, not sure I love the return, uh, if You know, if I was told with 100% certainty that Seth Johnson would be healthy and good in 2024, then great. I do love the return to Seth Johnson. is fantastic when healthy. But, you know, Tommy John surgery, there's a lot of risk there. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't have an issue necessarily with trading Trey Mancini. I wish they would have got a little more kind of same thing with Lopez. But, you know, they're still winning without them. So, you know. A couple,
1: a couple of very quick responses. The one In the FCL, watching them every single day, the one thing that hurts them the most is a lack of pitching. And if you want to take a, a, a deeper look at what that means specifically, is their starters and their bullpen guys lack finishing pitches. The two twins pitchers, including one pitch today, Juan Nunez, the righty, and uh, pitch the, the other one, Juan Rojas, the lefty, pitched in the game where Jackson holiday debuted Wednesday night. They have finishing pitches. If it gets to two strikes, they have a slider and they're trying to throw their slider for strike three. If it misses, they're trying to throw their slider again for strike three, not shaking off. So that that's one thing. So they're already bringing Povich's is something in the upper minors, but there's already improvement in mind in the lowest of the low minors. And the other one about seth johnson i kind of am very inclined to agree with you even if we did know about johnson being healthy he's not And the one angle that it's going to be very hard for me to like not stop thinking about this he's been hurt for a very long time the rays knew he was hurt for months like months over half of a year 180 days no surgery how can we never had surgery and 48 hours after the Orioles acquired him, he had the procedure. That's something that I would like to know. What were the Rays doing? It's a torn elbow ligament. There's no rest and recovery. You have to get the procedure. So I'm always going to wonder about Seth Johnson, why that didn't happen, like, un- more immediately.
0: It's definitely a fair thing to question. Um, he didn't play much this year. I, You know, Maybe there's, there's, it's just as simple as the raise. Uh, we're just delaying the inevitable. Uh, but, you know, they also knew he would be Rule 5 eligible. So it makes him easier to trade, especially when they're not going to want to wait on the Tommy John rehab.
1: Okay. I understand. But is he easier to trade if he's not surgically repaired and needs to be? Or is he easier to trade during the process of the r- repair? Or the, the, the rehab. So again, I don't think we're gonna ever really like nobody's gonna ask because nobody really cares. But it's just something my brain's gonna be stuck on. I really think actually the team that did the best at the deadline with changing their system, not Nats division, is the the Reds. For sure, they really loaded up and changed. And I mean, the um, Daytona is a team that you watch a lot and you've gone to a lot of their games, you kind of, like, know, have a good pulse on the team. I mean, they got two outstanding players in this trade.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could argue they got the best prospect in all of the deadline deals, Noel V. Marte, mm-hmm. um, in a separate – so that was in the Luis Castillo trade. And, by the way, not to uh, go back on my uh, on my Juan Soto angle, but I also feel like the Reds shouldn't have had to do this. Um I get why they traded Castillo, Drury, and Malley, but I also feel like if they had not traded Winker, Eugenio Suarez, and other players in the offseason, they would have a competitive team this year. It would be and a little it, bit better. Right. And in, in a division, you could argue that has been underperforming this year. So it's really unfortunate to the fan, the Cincinnati fans that they're even in a position where they felt the need to trade Castillo, Mally, and uh, very, a surprising player like Drury.
1: Um, very, very.
0: Right, but if you're going to trade them, they definitely got the – they maximized their returns. Uh, Noelvi Marte, Edwin Arroyo, uh, those are two phenomenal players that they got for Castillo. Uh, in the Mali trade, you know, headlined by Spencer Steer, a guy on the Twins um, who I'm surprised hasn't debuted yet for either team. He just hit his first home run for the Louisville Bats. Uh, they also got Steve Hajar, who I know you are really, really high on. Um, huge fan. And in the Drury trade, they got Victor Acosta. Uh, there's a lot of risk there, but also a lot of upside. Um, So they really overhauled their system in a good way. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see how the middle infield unfolds um, long-term. Obviously they have Jose Barrera, who I'm still convinced, there's something up there. I I don't know if he's playing hurt or he's just uh, trying to get back to where he was, but, you know, I, there's been a drop-off between his stats last year and this year, but overall I think Barrero, long-term, really talented player. Um, obviously, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, shortstop. I um, feel like there's a new highlight every night of him, you know, hitting an extra base hit or stealing home or something crazy like that. Um, and then, of course, adding Arroyo, Noel V. Marte. Uh, this is a really fun system. It's always been a really fun system, but it just got even more fun. Um so, you know, a team like the Pirates who have been perpetually rebuilding the past couple of years, they've got some competition with the Reds. I think the Reds are accelerating their timeline. Um, so it's going to be, an, the NL Central is going to be an interesting thing to follow.
1: You know what? The Cubs system is also yeah. not, not empty and pretty exciting with like the same type of players doing the same type of things at the same level. So maybe it can be even like these teams hate each other and their fans don't like each other, you know, and, and, and also the Cardinals are good all the time. Right. And the Brewers are like, as I look at system, the Brewers are in the back of the top tier or the top of the middle tier. And they're usually not bad. So, you know, it's weird that all the, all the teams are bad, but all the systems are kind of kind of not bad. speaking of the Cardinals, I got to see, your favorite represent your probably your favorite player in the minors this year for the second time. Uh, Another three inning stint for Tink Hens. Uh, I gave up a run. So I kind of like hadn't seen him give up anything of significance. He gave up uh, a couple hits in a row to people that I consider to be great hitters, Josiah Dixon and uh, uh, Sung Che Chang on the Marauders, but otherwise uh, it's kind of late in the season for him. He wasn't using the curveball at all to get ahead in the count or to finish, so it was really 96, 97 or 82 to 84 for the changeup, but I don't know. You know the, he looked so beautiful. There's no way I'm never going to a game of his and not sitting in the front row because you just have to watch the way the ball moves when it comes out of his hands. It's just so athletic and really so much like exactly what you want to see. Uh, I got great video. It's up. It's up on our page. I also see it, saw him uh, have a pickoff move. He didn't even have to go to a great, like an a plus move. He just did it at the right time when the guy had the wrong lean, like he was indicating with the lean tank, just step right into action. Uh, I was going in slow-mo for a strikeout when a comebacker got hit to his Uh, his right side. So he got to go and field it and make the play at first base. So even in three innings, like less than 55 pitches, you really got to see the whole, the whole experience and man, what a great season for him. And what a, what a super positive outlook. Like this guy, you, you would not get an argument from me if you ranked him in the top 20 right now, right now. So somebody's going to be bold enough to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, whoever that person is, I'm going to respect them and follow them on Twitter at the very least.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was waiting for you to bring up Tink. Um, You know, he's, I mean, he's the most impressive uh, prospect I've seen this season. Uh, I was talking with my dad the other day. Um, He might be the most exciting, best, whatever adjective you want to use, St. Louis Cardinals prospect we've ever seen. Um, You know, Nolan Gorman and Jack Flaherty and, of course, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn or in that uh, discussion, but just the pure dominance we've seen from Tink this season is just um, – it's, it's just amazing. And I 100% agree with you on sitting in the front row. Um, oh, just
1: necessary.
0: His curveball is just – like that is my favorite pitch I've ever seen from any pitcher, just uh, at least in person. Um, and it's really cool, you know, how I saw his debut back in like mid-May and then immediately was like, this is a dude that people are going to need to pay attention to. And now, you know, Baseball America, uh, I want to say FanGraphs, graphs um, and some other, uh, I might be wrong about fangraphs but there were at least like two or three major prospect, um, like uh, writers that ranked him in the top 100, which, you know, is a huge jump for him considering he was, you know, not thought of in that light before his debut, but obviously just, between the stats and just the whole body of work like this is this is, he's going to quickly be universally looked at as one of the top pitching prospects in the game i already think he is and to your point of who's going to be bold enough to rank him you know in the top 20 uh certainly could be me if i ever do that kind of ranking um and if you want to read more about Tink, uh my most recent article for fantasy six pack uh he was included in it um where I looked further into his reverse splits that I talked about in my original article about Tink. And a survey says the reverse splits are still going strong. He's still uh, pitching better against lefties than righties. He's a right-handed pitcher, which is not to say that he's doing poorly against righties. Righties can barely get a hit off of him as well, but lefties even more so. Uh, They're also striking out at a higher rate. Um, It's just really, really a weird quirk in a good way. That he's you know just so dominant against opposite-handed batters. Um, in that same article, I also hyped up my boy Ellie Dela Cruz. Um, so definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, just um, Pink Hens is really special.
1: I think it's the the curveball has so much nasty action right off the fingertips, and if you watch in slow mo, his hand movement to get that whip action is not like a very obvious and strong wrist break so he's doing it with finger and feel to make it dance right out of out of the hand so it's even more athletic than it appears when you watch it with all the all the detail I don't think anybody can watch it with more detail than you and I have he doesn't have that many innings like we have the highlights of every single thing that he's done if you look at my phone you will see him warming up. At, you know, it's 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 a lot, but it's also really fun and 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 really worth it. He seems like like an awesome guy and someone who's going to get a lot better. You know, he throws ninety eight right now without like a full season and off season of coaching and physical development. Oh, by the way, you just totally reminded me of something. We talked like months and months ago about Gunnar Henderson having problems with left handed pitching, and that's like before his ascension this season. And I was like, "Why wow, they're kind of babying him. They're not letting him see that many lefties. I heard on some radio show, I'm not going to get this right, that in uh, Norfolk, one th- oh, it's was Connor Newcomb today, locked on Orioles. A third of his AAA at-bats this year, so a lot, have been against lefties, OPS against lefties, a 21
0: yeah. So know. the
1: exposure was the problem. Or yeah. The lack of exposure was the issue. Right. Just, you you, you different inspired different. a thought when you, when
0: you were talking about that. So I wonder, you know, what, how well Tink's going to do when he goes deeper into games. And, you know, I think he's going to pitch just as well. He's finally been able to get into the fourth inning. You know, usually he was only going three innings, but um, if, you know, they can get him up to six innings and he's still, you know, striking out multiple batters per inning and allowing barely anyone to get on base, like that, that is the recipe for an ace. So he's a really fun player to follow.
1: We don't care about being first, but you were first.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, not gonna one. Well, Tink was first, so okay. <laughs> but well speaking of players, uh, who you're high on, uh, there's someone you wanted to give a, a birthday shout out to.
1: That's right. It's hard. It's so hard to believe that today this person is 17, and Saturday, the August uh, 13th, they'll be 18. But really the Orioles' best player in the FCL this year and, like, biggest leader and all-around most significant, most consistent contributor is the catcher, Sam Basayo. It's just so hard. He's a huge person. He's, like, the size of two bouncers. So (laughs) him being 17, it's just crazy. But he's 17 now, and on Saturday he turns 18. So I'm going to wish him a happy birthday. I kind of already did because I couldn't hold it in. And uh, everyone that listens to this should find him on social media or find him somehow and tell him happy birthday because he's a great guy and he's a great player and he's only 18.
0: Absolutely. I love all the videos you've been posting of him. He looks like a really good player. Yeah. I'm hoping he sticks with the team for, you know, six more days, five more days because, uh, you know, I'll be hopefully going to that game on, well, definitely, weather permitting, going to the game in Fort Myers on Thursday. And, right, I'm looking, looking forward to him. that hopefully seeing Jackson holiday, um, you know, obviously you're not expecting Judd Fabian to still be there, but that'd be a nice surprise too. If he is there. Um, but yeah. Hopefully I'll get to see a holiday in Visayu.
1: We'll have an episode after that to recap everything that we saw. So we'll do everything we can to make sure it doesn't rain.
0: Yep. Uh, I, you know, I don't have a lot of control over that, but I'll try my best uh, to, uh, you know, send some good vibes to the weather. And, uh, you know, for now, uh, we appreciate you all listening. Hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for future episodes and peace out.